You know, Mark, this country has borne me on its back a thousand times. And now, yeah, how abhorrent in my imagination it is. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. And that was a little Hamlet reference for you all for this uh, Pump Up the Volume Minutes 45 to 48. Because, as Walter Chaw in Decider, 5th September 2019, says, The romance of Pump Up the Volume is that for all the world-weary cynicism of Mark's all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks, his insights still feel like the first conscious ravings of a precocious child. His longest monologue, delivered to a pet lizard like Hamlet speaking to poor Yorick's skull, talks about the difficulty in finding a role to play in a society determined to homogenize expression. What we, as adults ruined by almost three decades of, to borrow a phrase from the national, brutalism and hairpin turns. Know about the truth is that Burroughs was right, and all these hopes we nursed during our period of rebellion were just dreams shredded upon waking. Oh, that sounds nice. Horribly negative, but it's worded well. I like it. <laughs> in these minutes, we have a lot of Mark's monologue, but these are almost Paige's minutes as much as Mark's. Yes. <laughs> uh, in in the script, I'll get to it, but in the script more so. Stuff that we get with Nora in this segment is Paige in the script. This is Paige's and Mark's. Uh, connection where Nora's would be over in the movie, in the script. Uh, the the segment begins, of course. Mark is still petting the iguana, not a euphemism, and giving us more of his monologue and well, finishing the line. The terrible secret is that being young is sometimes less fun than being dead. And then we cut back to Shep Shepherd, who says, "This is great. He's making it worse." And the reporter's clearly happy for the drama. He's like. Seeming really excited about the fact that Mark is making it worse. Well, yeah, which puts him kind of the same thing that Mark is. His his newscast is going to go better if there's more drama, and Mark wanted more drama. And now he's got it. Um, yeah, behind him, the cameraman's getting ready to go on the air again, and we go to Mark. Mark's monologue continues behind it. Suicide is wrong, but the interesting thing about it is how uncomplicated it seems, you know? And at this point, he's walking around. There's a lot of um, bad editing in this segment. He had the iguana. We cut away for like a second. Mm-hmm. Now he has no iguana, no cigarette, and he's walking around. Yeah, he's more like a teacher giving a lecture yeah. with the pacing and the nonverbal gesturing. Uh, there you are. You got all these problems swarming around in your brain. And here's one simple, one incredibly simple solution. And we're, he's walking around. So we see a little more of his the mess of this room which is a lot of storage for people who just moved here because it seems organized. There's gardening equipment in one place. There's bikes hanging up. There's a very big set of drawers for tools, which I'm not sure who here uses that many tools because that doesn't feel like who Brian Hunter is. (laughs) And we'll see what's in the corner of the mother stuff later. And says, I'm just surprised it doesn't happen here every day around here. And we cut to Cheryl listening still. And we get an interesting focus pull as she turns to her own reflection in the mirror and looks at herself. And then Mark continues. Now they're going to say, I said, offing yourself is simple, but no, 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 no. It's not simple. It's like everything else. You have to read the fine print. And for instance, assuming that there is a heaven, at this point we see a skull on Maz's dashboard, which is interesting juxtaposition. Who would ever want to go there, you know? I mean, think about it. It's cool. You're sitting there up on this cloud. It's nice. You know, it's quiet. 
There's no, it says there's no teachers. And we cut to Emerson. Yeah, that's a weird cut to Emerson because she's like sitting there laughing. Yeah. And I'm thinking if one of the students at my school had just died by suicide and the, well, she doesn't know that it's another one, but she can assume it's probably another student who's on the air. It's an odd reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure why she, it's nice that she's amused by his, there's no teachers, there's no parents is what heaven is. But yeah, it seems like her mood should be hard to get amused right now. Yeah. Because she's sitting there in a robe, drinking tea, presumably grading papers or planning a lecture. Mm-hmm. We can't tell what she's doing with her papers. Um, meanwhile, Mark has gone into the corner behind the couch, which is interesting because he has a red no vacancy sign we haven't seen yet. He has the 2nd October 1989 issue of Time, or at least its cover, on the wall, which is a day in the life of China. He has a large photo of comedian Sam Kinison and possibly a picture of MC Hammer over there, along with some other things that we'll see later. And he, he continues, there's no teachers, there's no parents, but guess what? There's nothing to do. Fucking boring. And in the script, he says, heaven makes hell look like a place where you can at least not go out of your fucking mind. Or maybe it's just black. Check this out. Just put your hands over your eyes for a little while. No, do it. I'm doing it. Try it. Let's do this for ten minutes. And then just imagine doing it for like ten thousand years. Boring, right? So I don't know about you, but the way I look at it, life is less boring than death, which lasts a lot longer than high school. And then he comes back to some of what we hear in the movie with another thing to remember about suicide. When we get um, a listener whose name I don't know, who's got a classic 70s cinder block shelves in his room. It's the first of a couple flashbacks to my own childhood in this segment. Because my sisters definitely had shelves like that. I never did because I never had that big a room until later. Yeah. I don't, re- I don't recall ever seeing shelves like that, so... Oh, we had been too late for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was my older sisters who had them. I did have a question, though, because we have several cuts out of the scene to looking in a mirror. And you said Cheryl, but I thought it was them cutting back to Paige's That's later. with her looking That's in later. the mirror. We get Cheryl That's looking different. in a mirror first, and then we get Paige looking okay. in two different mirrors later. Got it. So I'm and like, I thought Paige looked in Paige's the shot is more interesting because I think her bedroom might be a set. Mm. Because the reflection in the mirror is black behind her. Huh. So it's either a deliberate visual choice or or her room is a set. I don't know which. That could be. Cheryl's might be an actual bedroom. So it looks even in the mirror like a real room. But yeah, we get a couple different reflections. And Mark talks about uh, how it's not a pretty picture. First of all, you shit your shorts. You know, so there you are, dead. People are weeping over you, crying. Girls you never spoke to are saying, why, why, why? And you have a load in your shorts. Uh, Paige, um, sneers at the people who are whying, weeping over you crying and about girls never, you've never spoke to. And we get some cutaways, uh, the video store with the mullet guy and his friend who were in the iced tea shop class scene earlier. They're walking around the rental place playing their radio. And in the background is another poster for Prince of Pennsylvania. Ah. Uh. Which turns out has a producer in common with this film, which is why its poster shows up a couple times. I watched that film last night, even though I hadn't heard of it until, what, just this week. And it's actually pretty okay. It's Keanu Reeves, right at, like, around the time he did The Night Before. Zaffrey did Bill and Ted. And Fred Ward, is, as his father, works in a coal mine outside of Pittsburgh. And about halfway through the movie, he decides he's like a punk kid who can't handle the small town, doesn't want to do anything that everyone wants him to do. And so he kidnaps his own father to try to get ransom money to escape. And it's a comedy. Which... Oh. 
gets a little dark. I liked when he said, who knows what I'll do. Maybe I'll go to Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, everyone in Pittsburgh at well, that time is like, how do we get out of Pittsburgh? It's especially funny because I'm pretty sure Mars, Pennsylvania is not that far from Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> in LA terms, it would be a suburb. Um, they have more separation of their <laughs> cities yeah. there with mountains and rivers and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, you might go to Pittsburgh. But yeah, shares a shares a producer with this film. Uh, forgot her name, Susan Risher, Risher, something like that. And I noticed in that film they had Pepsi on display a few times, kind of like the Diet Pepsi here. And in that one, at least in the credits, they thanked Pepsi among a bunch of other things they use for stuff. So. Yeah, the, we've talked about the Pepsi might be a product placement here, and it might be. Uh, in the script, by the way, oh, no, I wanted, to, I wanted to share this. On the poster for Prince of Pennsylvania, this is the tagline. It's awful and cheesy. <laughs> He's looking for love, happiness, wisdom, truth, and the meaning of life, all by next Thursday. Yeah, it's cheesy, <laughs> but I've heard worse. <laughs> it also doesn't quite fit the film. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in the script, Mark plays a re-edit of Deaver in which he's basically cut out all of the actual words and it's just filler. So it's just Deaver saying, um, uh, 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 make it sound like he doesn't say anything. And he says, and Deaver says, I'm disturbed. He should check out his boss, Crestwood, she-wolf of the SS. Maybe I'm mad, but there's a method to her madness. And then he talks about there's an article in the Clarion about him that calls him a garbage mouth and a disturbed misfit. And this is in the script by, in case you're not remembering this from the film. Hey, what do I know? Maybe something is wrong with me. I feel so strange sometimes. Let's say I'm watching a bunch of the beautiful people hanging out in the alcove, and we get a flashback in the script to the alcove earlier, but with a more intense POV camera angle. It is history processed through memory and feelings, the script says. And he says that smug, casual laugh, that smug way of moving, that smug way of wearing clothes, the smugs. Everything seems so easy for you. Everything is a joke for you. I try to hate you, but the truth is I'd probably love to be just like you. That's what makes ha- hating you so complicated. Anyway, I'm staring at the smugs, and I really must be crazy because suddenly I can see how incredibly worried they are. I can see it in their clothes, their moves, and I suddenly realize that every single kid in high school is worried sick. And I think, am I the only one seeing this? And we cut away to Paige saying no. Am I the only one thinking this? And we cut away to Paige saying no. And then we're back to where we are in the film. With They're saying, I shouldn't think stuff like this, you know. They're saying something is wrong with me, that I should be ashamed. As Paige brushes her hair in the mirror. Yeah, so... I like the cuts to Paige. It'll lead up to something we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a bit. But especially with her and I guess Cheryl also being in a mirror where they're questioning themselves and their identities. Partly because of Mark. But I'd like to think they'd be doing that anyway. Yeah. Just and Mark talks about shame here and about teenagers being ashamed and the identities of Teens, young adults, are not completely formed. People in this age group, as Mark's talked about it, are expected to conform to all these different types of norms that define their place in society, and they don't know what their place is supposed to be. They don't know how to deal with the external expectations, and these things can make people just make them quicker to feel shame. There was a study done by Sarah de Rabouy at the University of Toronto that looked specifically at how shame affects depressive symptoms in adolescence. And they studied 140 adolescents between the ages of 11 and 16 and found that teenagers who were more prone to 
shame or feeling ashamed were more likely to have symptoms and severe symptoms of depression. They also found a link between shame and anxiety disorder, specifically social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And we definitely have seen Mark exhibit social anxiety oh, disorder yeah. several times um, so far. And shame is different from guilt. It directs our focus inward. We view ourselves in a negative light as opposed to guilt, which Guilt results more from an action for us accepting responsibility. Guilt causes us to focus our attention on the feelings of others, but shame directing inward and correlating with increased anxiety and depression would also make one more prone to suicidal ideation or yeah. or suicide um, itself. And while women are more likely and teen girls more susceptible to the negative effects of shame, I think a lot of that, obviously, is misogyny. We're supposed to hate everything about ourselves and what we do that both teen boys and teen girls experience a lot of, a lot of shame and lower self-esteem. So, yeah, there's still, the research on shame is actually fairly new. It's been more hmm. within the past 10 years that shame specifically has been studied as an emotion and how it connects with increasing mental health issue because we have anxiety and depression of course yeah rising as well and yeah i just think that this study is important in talking to to teens and adolescents about this is important so i like that mark is specifically addressing shame and say he's sick of being ashamed there have been other studies that have said that shame is actually the most negative or damaging emotion, even beyond anger, even beyond other things. Hmm. Well, yeah, anger, at least you're directing it at other people. But she's got some of that, too. But yeah, when he says, uh, well, I'm sick of being ashamed, you just said, he's sitting yeah. on the couch now. It says, I mean, aren't you? And we get Paige looking now into a hand mirror. That's the one where the background is completely black. Like, there's nothing behind her. Which in her room isn't doesn't make sense. There's flower wallpaper everywhere. So it seems deliberate. And, uh, she says, sick to death. And he says, I don't mind being dejected and rejected, but I'm not going to be ashamed about it. And he kind of gets off the couch, but we'll see later. He doesn't yeah. stand up. He gets down on his knees at first. In the movie, Nora says hallelujah. In the script, it's Paige that says hallelujah. There's no Nora in this segment. Yeah. They have Nora in this script or? No, Nora, Nora in the movie says hallelujah. Oh, uh, yeah. Nora says hallelujah. But in the script, it's Paige that says hallelujah uh. as well. And so while Nora is in the montage coming up, she's not interacting with Mark anymore like she was in the previous part of his uh, Tonight Show. And he, Mark says, at least pain is real. You look around and you see nothing is real, but at least pain is real. That's when he's on his couch, by on his knees by the couch. And Paige is looking around. Her calendar is on October, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so it may be October. I trust Paige's calendar over Brian's. And... He says, you know, even the show isn't real. This isn't me. I'm using a voice disguiser. I'm a phony fuck just like my dad, just like anybody. You see, the real me is just as worried as the rest of you. They say I'm disturbed. We get another angle on Paige. Well, of course I'm disturbed. I mean, we're all disturbed. And we're on Nora for this. And if we're not, why not? And we go back to Mark. He's pacing around. The guitar kicks in. He says, doesn't this blend of blindness and blandness want to make you do something crazy? Then why not do something crazy? It makes a hell of a lot more sense than blowing your fucking brains out. You know, go nuts, go crazy, get creative. You got problems, you just chuck them, nuke them. And as he continues, this is when Paige gets up, pulls down her Yale pennant, uh, which is next to a 
wall of, a shelf of dolls and award certificates. She pulls down a drawing that I think is supposed to be of her that's hanging over her bed. And that's just the start of the stuff she's pulling down as he talks. Yeah, so she's going to take all those parts of her identity, the biggest parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we got more of the postmodernism of the film, more of the simulacra with looking around and seeing nothing is real. All of those signifiers and objects in Yale or whatever on your wall is not well, it's, it's especially interesting if her room is a set and the one side isn't real. That's where she looks first when she looks around when he says there's nothing. Yeah, it's like she's looking at nothing. So she looks outside of the set of her which room. Which is cool. And Mark's delivery here is like just a big crescendo. Like he's just getting more mm-hmm. and more fired and it's faster and it's more energetic and you can see just... Yeah, he says, they think you're moody, make them think you're crazy. Make them think you might snap. And we get more page as she's pulling down more stuff on her bed, including a trophy. And there's a giant gray bear, which was my second flashback to my childhood, because I swear one of my sisters had this exact bear, which is, like, bigger than a person. I don't remember which one, though. And I couldn't figure out what bear it is, because it's hard to search for specific teddy bears in history. There's too many of them. It says, they think you got attitude, you show them real attitude. Come on, I mean, go nuts. And in the time it took him to say that sentence, Paige is now in the kitchen with a pile of stuff. So, another weird edit. She got there really fast. But yeah. that scripted is that, is that she's in the kitchen now. Uh, and, and she goes to the microwave. I don't think it's the Yale pen in it. It's more like the, like, things that represent teenage girlhood. Like a well, it's, iron it's at the or, It's at the bottom of the pile, because the paper, yeah. <laughs> the picture of her is definitely there, and that was at the mm-hmm. bottom. So the Yale pen, it could be the first, yeah. the lowest thing. But yeah, there's a hairdryer, there's, um, there's actually, a, there's track ribbons, it says. They're ribbons, yeah. but in the script specifies they're for track. The idealized portrait of her and the script calls them all totems of her perfection. Yeah. And there's a hair, the hairbrush she was using. Yeah, the hairbrush, the hairdryer, maybe a curling iron, but it's like. And she puts him in the microwave. He says, get crazy. No, hey, no more Mr. Nice Guy. He screams. There is a nice note to the microwave thing in that as he's screaming and it continues. Paige reopens the microwave to throw in her pearl necklace. Wow. <laughs> which she was still wearing. So we don't see her take it off, but she adds it last. And Mark's screaming, oh God, he keeps screaming. We cut to Maz screaming along. Uh, Paige walks over to the table and sits down. Uh, Mark, we get a shot of him, shot of Nora screaming along. All of these people are getting really into the screaming part, and Paige just sits there and calmly eats a cracker. Yeah. Why do you think she... Well, her, hers is a different, I mean. Well, not the cracker, but why do you think she throws all of her stuff in the microwave as opposed to say like a fire? Where typically well, in a movie you'll get people going outside. In the script she puts it them in the oven. Mm. And so yeah. it only explodes because there's a, there, one of the things in there is a can of like hairspray. I think the microwave made for a better, better visual because it's yeah. on the counter. <laughs> but I love that she's calm because we've seen two people look in mirrors this thing. Right. Cheryl, who later we see dancing. Yeah. And does does have some sort of padding to make her look like she's pregnant, by the way. But she's in, she's having a good time. Meanwhile, Paige is sitting down and I wouldn't say calmly exactly because she looks a little like angry and ready for ready to explode on herself as well. But yeah, maybe more sedate. like acceptance. She yeah. made a choice and now uh-huh. she's waiting to see what And else. so she's just waiting. And so she just casually eats a cracker from a thing that's on the table. In the script, she even pours herself a glass of milk. Because it's the oven, so it's going to take longer. <laughs> microwave, they didn't have time for that. We get sparks in the microwave. We get Mark looking through his tapes. 
we get the crowd out in the field, including Jamie and Janie. They're all screaming. We get a shot of Paige waiting. And then we get a reverse shot for the microwave exploding, which is really nice. And then in the script, Mark puts on a song from 1964 by a musician named Millie, uh, Millicent Dolly Mae Small, called My Boy Lollipop. Which I don't think I'd ever heard before. Yeah, I don't recall that song. But it was number two in the UK singles and US Billboard Hot 100, and she was the biggest star at the time from the Caribbean. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look into that, cause if it was a Billboard hit, I would have at least heard it when I listened to yeah. every Billboard hit, but I have no recollection of that. Um, whatsoever. it was the first hit in what's called the Blue Beat style, which is similar to reggae. And until an interview as recently as 2016, she insisted that Rod Stewart played harmonica on the track. He says huh. he didn't. Which I thought that, that yeah. was an interesting side note. Um, at the late, in the late 80s, basically the time this movie was, and they may have included her song, which might have been good for her, which is too bad. She was actually destitute and living on the streets with her daughter. Oh no. It got better. Yeah. You know, she did some recording in the 90s apparently, and in that same 2016 interview, Though she said she never received any royalties from this single. And she actually died just this past May. She was 72. Wow. In the film, it is Bad Brains and Henry Rollins, Kick Out the Jams that comes on. Which apparently this cover of Kick Out the Jams had not been released yet. It's actually a cover of a 1969 song by MC5, which a lot of people have covered this song. Yeah, so the MC5 version of the song. And MC5 was a proto-punk band they're considered mm-hmm. like one of the earliest punk style bands i wonder why they didn't use mc5 it seems like using i don't know but <laughs> it was number music contacts put them in touch with uh, yeah. henry rollins was... or bad brains yeah i guess they've already used bad brain well they do use bad brain several times throughout the film so Kick Out the Jams was number 30 on the Billboard chart. It was considered a slogan for many of the 1960, the 1960s, these ethos of revolution and liberation. But MC5 said they weren't really thinking about that at all, like kicking out the jams about kicking out power. It was literally just a kicking out the jam song that they wrote to be a party song <laughs> and they recorded it at detroit's grand ballroom over devil's night and halloween in 1969 and rolling stone hated this song at first <laughs> they trashed it they called it ridiculous overbearing and pretentious um <laughs> pretentious yeah but now they consider it a forerunner to punk music and it's on their top 500 songs of all time at number 294 the original release had a kick out the jams motherfucker on the album cover and that was pulled from stores and censored (laughs) obviously so that that fits the theme of censorship that has already come up (laughs) and as the song starts we get a bunch of cars driving out onto the field by the school we get Maz standing up in his car in front of the HHH on the side of the wall. Oh yeah, I love screaming it happy get, Harry hard on. Yeah, when you get his cut, he's yelling right at the HHH. Yep. It's a great and a great moment. And it all happens so fast you might not even notice it. I like those things. You might not film. notice what it is. Yeah. In your head, you might not connect it yet. Yeah. I like those things in film where like subconsciously you're taking things in but you don't really notice mm-hmm. unless you stop and look for them. <laughs> 
Yeah, Hubert H. Humphrey and Happy Harry Hardon. Both Triple H's. No relation to the wrestler. <laughs> well, the school could be, because they both like Nazis. Uh, we get Mark dancing. We get kids climbing out of a station wagon next to Maz's car. Nora dancing in her room. By the way, her coffee maker, we see it better. It's an espresso machine, so she's fancy <laughs> for 1990. Uh, we get a bunch of kids dancing outside Double Deal Pizza Company in Sunland with inexplicably free pizza. I couldn't read enough of the sign oh. to figure out what the deal was, but it oh. says free pizza in two different locations. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's like a buy one, get a free pizza yeah. or something. Now, Double Deal Pizza Company has a history of doing film catering. It's in Sunland, which you're not in California, you might not know, is not that close to Saugus. And I think this is the only time they filmed there, so it's possible this was the caterer for the film. I haven't checked or haven't been able to figure it out. And this pizza place is still there. Yeah, so we'll have to go get their pizza and then report back and uh, let yeah. everyone know if it's any good. <laughs> uh, there'll be more Mark dancing. We get guys throwing trash cans around. We get Cheryl dancing. Uh, we get Maz in the crowd, Mark, we get Alyssa and Sandra, that's Mr. Feynman's and her friend, and a third friend now, all dancing in her bedroom. We get guys carrying a picnic table around. We get um, a kid who for a moment I thought was Donald, but it's not, dancing in his room, which has posters for Public Enemy, Run DMC, LO Cool J, actually it's the same LO Cool J poster on two different places, huh. and a poster for GNR Lies. We get Janie and Jamie dancing in front of the So Be It graffiti. And Maz and Joey are near there. And then we get people carrying around a giant penis. Yeah. Which I think is the only time we see in the film, which is really strange. Yeah. Maybe it's standing up when no they're out there later. I'm not sure. That. Yeah, I don't know where you get one of those made. And I'm not sure I want to check. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get Mark pulling out a dress. A ballet dress. Now in the script, Marta Hunter, his mother, is a dancer. Or was a dancer. So I'd like to point out this is his mother's dress. Keep that in mind with about what, what's about to happen. There's also a couple ballerina posters leaning on the against the wall on the floor. And a ballet pole is there. So her dancer stuff is still around, but put away. And we get a shot of Janie and Jamie and others dancing. And then Mark jumps onto the couch and onto the dress and starts to simulate sex with it. And we also get a shot of Maz and Joey jumping into each other out in the field. Yeah, that's a little too Freudian. Yeah. <laughs> in watching this movie, I never, I never thought about it, like why there'd be a dress down there. But of course it's his mother's. There's no one else there. Yeah. And it's a box of clothes in the corner next to a ballet pole and some ballet pictures. It's like her old outfits that he pulls out. So, and that's how the, that's how the segment ends is he's still having sex with the dress. Keeping that in, I'm going to have anything else on this segment, right? Keeping that in mind, I would like to again promote the room minute because that movie also ends with somebody having sex with the dress among other things. Uh, you can find that on your podcatchers. Uh, it's about 50 minutes in currently or out there. Uh, the episodes are out there. We've recorded almost all of them, so it's almost done. And you can find that under the room minute on social media. And if you like hearing about songs and finding new songs that you might not have heard before, you can listen to Life as a Playlist and Learn that along with some social and political commentary, and you can follow My Life as a Playlist pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts out! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! 
keep the air alive. Follow this show at Pump Up the Minute on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links to this and other shows. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes